Welcome to the Gods of Tomorrow podcast, where we discuss religious deconstruction, secular humanism, political activism, and epistemology. Together, we explore how to solve human problems with human solutions. We deconstruct, we activate, and then most importantly, we live our fucking lives. I am your host, Josh Ra, and you are the gods of tomorrow. All right, all right, all right. Let's uh, let's do this shit. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is episode eleven of Gods of Tomorrow. I am Josh Ra. You can call me Josh. And I just want to remind you all that a lack of understanding is not evidence of God. It's just evidence of a lack of understanding. And we are probably going to talk about that more as we dive into this episode discussing religious extremism, specifically Christian extremism and the trauma that it causes to those that are embedded into that system at such a young age. Today we have a guest with us. I've known her for a long while, but she and I have not had much of a chance to sit down and just have a one-on-one talk. Her name is Rin Margaret Grace. Rin, I'm so excited to have you with us here today on Gods of Tomorrow. How are you? Hello, thank you for having me. I'm I'm, uh, so appreciative that you had me on, so thank you. Uh, I'm glad to have you here. Uh, You and I have been on friends on Facebook for almost three years now, I think, and I've always noticed that you have a lot to say about Christianity and your own journey and your own experiences. You kind of get a mixed response from those on Facebook about that, but it seems like your uh, support has been growing over the last couple of years. Yes. um, I love people who are um, are not afraid to go against the flow, not afraid to question. And if you, you know, everyone feels by themselves in it. And we tend to flock together and notice the people that are calling stuff out and saying this isn't right. Mm-hmm. And we have to support each other, you know, and lean on each other. And that's what we've seen over the past few years. Which is, for me, comforting to see. I always say, I hope that the younger generation really tears down this establishment that has brainwashed and indoctrinated so many of us, especially us millennials that were almost trapped within that system for years because of our parents and how they were raised. (laughs) Love the kiddos in the background. (laughs) Um, So if you would, um, I, I know that you didn't always necessarily have this mentality of questioning everything. Can you kind of start at the beginning and tell us where your story started in Christianity and how you've broken away from it? Yeah, well, when is the beginning, you know? <laughs> um, I go back generations, right? Um, no, well, I'm an, an adoptee, and my story is really different from most adoptees in the fact that I was not adopted at birth. My birth parents and my adoptive parents went to the same church. Um, So I was in two Christian families. So I was in the same church my entire life. 
and my par- my biological parents were struggling in poverty, neurodivergence, and um, the church tried to help them out. And my babysitters ended up adopting me. And I remember all of it. I have tons of memories. I have lots of memories as an infant. So there were things that my parents couldn't tell me that I remembered because I was an infant and they wouldn't have known. So it's I'm very unique in that way. And I faced a very dark childhood by myself in silence because of all the adoption trauma that I had. And I didn't know what to do with it. So I just leaned on God as my father. The more I leaned into him and claimed him as my father, the more extreme I became. And it got even worse when I became a mother myself because I was terrified of the end times and the rapture that was pushed on me as a child. Um, I went to a strict Bible college, graduated with a Bible degree, and we sat in the chapel and the preacher would say, you will experience the end of the world in your lifetime. Mark my words. Mm-hmm. And I knew I, my roommates were had nightmares, you know, gut issues from fear. And it was just we were brought up in such fear of the world. And so when I became a mother, I was terrified. And I was like, I got to figure this out for my kids. And so I started questioning. I started studying scripture. I wanted to know who Jesus was. And like, I have a Bible degree and I don't even know who he was. I just know he died on the cross for our sins and he did miracles. But that's all I know. Because all the other teaching was from Paul, you know, Mm -hmm. not Jesus. and so. I studied really hard and my very first my very first question was who is Jesus? I just want to know who Jesus is. And that was the question that immediately got me in trouble with my pastor because I asked him and I said I was looking for Jesus in your sermon and I didn't find him and he was super offended. <laughs> so when you were about 3 years old, your parents had gone to a church, the church was trying to help them out. Um and then there's another family within the church that started to adopt or went through the process to adopt you. And then you were still within that same church there. For me, when I think of like that time frame, I'm thinking of like Erickson's stages of development where you're having that breakaway between autonomy and shame and guilt. And when there's trauma that occurs during that time, we see that usually kids carry a lot of shame and guilt in those places and have difficulty like finding their own autonomy and their own independence that are occurring because of that. Did you find that that was a struggle, I guess, as you moved into your early childhood and into your adolescence that you carried a lot of shame and guilt and it was hard for you to break away and find yourself and so you relied on the church, I guess, to define who you were? Oh, absolutely. I mean, your identity was in Christ, right? Mm -hmm. There is no autonomy when you believe in Jesus. I mean, being who you are is bad, according to Christianity. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's why you need Jesus to save you. So there is no autonomy there. And especially as an adoptee and yeah, just scared and blaming myself for what happened because as a toddler, you know, it's a very age appropriate for toddlers to, to think I did that. Yeah. 
know, like, because they're trying to figure out how do I interact with the world? If I do this, what happens? If I do this, what happens? And so whatever happens, they think I must have caused it. So it's very appropriate to put the guilt and blame on yourself at that age. Absolutely. And that's just, I think this is why your story resonates with so many people is because we see that the trauma that young children experience at a young age is so prevalent in our Western culture. And then to add this religious overcasting around that to try to provide like some sort of safety net actually becomes more traumatizing because you never break out of the shell then. It's almost like it encapsulates you or puts you into a prison and not finding yourself. Exactly. Yep. And it's all held up as this is this is the way of life. Like this is the pinnacle of what we're supposed to attain to. Mm-hmm. And and it's so abusive to children. So I honestly wasn't aware that you had gone to Bible college and gotten a degree. So you so one of the things that it sounds like you're saying is that during that experience, you still didn't feel like you were really educated in biblical oh, no. history or or any pieces. It was almost like it was a whitewashed version of just continuing to live for Christ and just reiterating the same messages you got in Sunday school. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we learned Hebrew and Greek, you know, um, and hermeneutics and trying to figure out what is the original meaning of this. But all of that is through their own perspective. So it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I really appreciate hearing that because I say that all the time when I talk to Christian apologists. I'm like, you're not really a Christian apologist. You're just a talking piece for the same things that you were taught within a exactly. school that told you how to think and how to approach your your own theology. Exactly. So it's nice to hear someone who's been through that kind of reiterate that and say, yeah, absolutely. We didn't think about how to approach these things critically. We were just told what to say to defend our own faith. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, so now jumping forward back into your story, because I, I want to make sure that this was this happened after college, then that you started trying to seek Jesus in the sermons and that your yeah. pastor's getting upset with you. So this wasn't Sunday school being young, your pastor mad. This is I'm an adult <laughs> woman with a degree asking questions and my pastor's yeah. angry that I'm seeking more truth. Yes, exactly. Like I sat with I sat in Sunday school with deacons and they and was asking questions and pointing out you know, inconsistencies and, and getting to the heart of what it means to be a real human being with your own emotions and autonomy, you know, um, they didn't like that too much and even threatened to, um, church discipline me. They basically gave me an option, either leave or be church disciplined, which is stupid. What does church discipline look like? You didn't even mention what church you had gone to. I was going to ask that as well. I was a part of independent fundamental Baptist. That was in the circle that I grew up in. I was in one church my entire upbringing. And then as an adult, I went to different churches and of course in college too, but. We're going to open a whole can of worms because I just interviewed a guy two episodes ago that was raised in IFB and he went into their entire curriculum and their um, replacement theory stuff that they went to about how it was women's jobs to go out and have children uh, in order to populate the area and to bring more Christians into the world to essentially push Christian theology uh, and all those things that are kind of embedded within that extreme Christian belief system. Yes, it's, it's extreme. (laughs) It is extreme. 
Yeah, it's it's a whole nother world. It's a whole nother culture. I feel like I was on a on a cult compound in plain sight mm-hmm. because I never, you know, I grew up only within that sect and only within church, Christian school. You know, um, I never ventured out. I just stayed. All my friends were the same were the same belief system and entering out into the real world was a huge cultural shock. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you were, you were given this fork in the road of receive church discipline or leave at that point. Did you (laughs) leave or did you stay within the church system? I definitely left. Then I really started breaking down my idea of, well, what does it mean to go to church? You know, and we tried out different churches that were more progressive, that were more, um, not as controlling, but it ultimately, we all found the exact, I found the exact same thing. Didn't matter how progressive they were. It was the same thing in my sect. I, I was going to just ask you to define the same thing a little bit. Do you mean that they were teaching the the words of Paul and so for like the church of Paul and that you still didn't, couldn't find Jesus within those churches? Misogyny. Or, oh, misogyny. It was still misogyny. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It was still the husband is the head of the house. The husband has can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit. You have to follow him. You're not allowed to speak in front of men. I actually felt that God had given me a message to share with the church. I asked the pastor if I could share it with the congregation. And he said, you're a woman. You can't you can't speak in front of men. But if you want, we can meet with the deacons and you can give the message to them and one of them can share your words in front of the congregation. And I never went back. (laughs) I'm honestly speechless. I I have shared this before in my other podcast, but I was raised Methodist. It was in the Midwest. I never really experienced extreme Christianity or even like charismatic Christianity. It was pretty low key for the most part. And so my breaking away wasn't trauma related. It was that I essentially found information or knowledge that separated me from the belief system and I could no longer accept it. And it was years of breaking down the belief system and trying to capitalize on it. But I didn't have that experience as being, you know, a woman in the church or a minority within the church. Um, where I didn't have that type of like freedom as a, as a white male, I could essentially do and say whatever I wanted. But I also, and this is probably just from my own lens, I didn't see women being treated that way in those churches either. I am sure that they were, and I just wasn't privy to it uh, because of my own place within the church. Um, But I'm always curious why the patriarchy is so strong within the church systems and why that's pushed that way when we see that there are strong women that preach and share the word of God and all these other things within Christian history that it's not accepted in the modern Western church system. Right. Well, I'm still trying to figure that out myself. I mean, it's power and control and security. I mean, the list goes on. Mm-hmm. Um, I honestly, I think a lot of it has to do with our physical biological differences and the fact that women carry pregnancies and that creates an inequality in our physiology. And with that comes a whole host of emotional and mental mind games. You know, I don't believe that we can have true equality 
and parenting and this whole family thing, as long as one parent gives birth, there's there's just such a difference there. More is more responsibility is placed on the birthing parent. Hmm. That happens because of the baby's bond from growing inside the body. And nothing we do is going to change that fact. And it's interesting for me as an adoptee and now a mother that I was really a strange child in the fact that I analyzed my own childhood as a child. And I decided, I had many conversations with myself and decided that adults forget what it's like to be a kid. And I wasn't going to forget and I was going to raise my kids with respect to what they were going through. Mm. My kids will even attest to that's how I parent them. And it's interesting to me as a mom to try to navigate social expectations of parenthood in within a, a patriarchal society because it comes back to it harms children. And children grow up and have to deal with the weight of social pressures that they had inside their home. And it, you know, it's just you can't escape society, even if you're cut off from it. It's just something we have to constantly be deconditioning ourselves with. And it's interesting being a mother as an adoptee to try to balance all of that. And I practice attachment parenting with my kids because I remember what it's like as a child. Mm -hmm. It's interesting speaking up as for adoptees that um, I think I get the most pushback when I talk about being an adoptee, how much emphasis is on the mother I get more pushback on that than anything else that I talk about, which is interesting. But it all goes together. It's all part of the system. It's all part of the patriarchal system that comes out in extremism. I'm trying to think of where to even start with all of that. That was so well said. Thank you for speaking out on that, Bryn. And right now we're in such an interesting place, I think, especially in the United States and how not only has the Western culture have been patriarchal for such a long time, but it's no longer like underneath a veil that it's patriarchal. It's like in our face patriarchal and some of the laws that are being passed. For you, does it feel like a reflection of church hierarchy that you're seeing in politics? 100%. I mean, I'm part of a, I'm part of sect of Christianity that purposefully had women have lots of babies to take over the political arena. So I have heard them boldly proclaim their agenda. I sat under it and I was a part of it. It's it's terrifying now that I understand it all and the control that they're trying to put everyone through. And this has been an agenda that's been pushed for at least 50 years. So we are now like looking at the tail end of that strategic plan going into effect. Absolutely. Well, here's the thing, too. You can always expect backlash when 
trying to break free from an oppressive individual system doesn't matter. Um, whenever you're trying to break out through control, there's always going to be backlash. And that's why it's so dangerous for a woman to, to leave her abuser because it can actually put her and the kids' lives in jeopardy. Um, and that's the thing. What happened when women did start getting rights, it made them furious. And it's like, okay, we'll give you this. But they didn't really believe it. It didn't change how they felt about women, which is why women still have so much inequality because it didn't change the hearts, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so what happened was their agenda grew and grew and grew. And now we have this. They decided to revoke our rights. You've seen these injustices, Ren, which is why I'm so excited to have you on here, because you've experienced these injustices at the individual level. You've experienced it at the mezzo level or the community level. And now, of course, being in America, you're experiencing it at the macro level. You're seeing it impacting at a large state. I actually saw a post the other day on Twitter from a Christian pastor who said, we're winning the fight. We are now going to be able to push our women to have more children because they're not able to have abortions, we can indoctrinate them within our church, and atheists or nons, people who don't believe in Christianity, are going to have less children, and then we'll have the power to indoctrinate them as well to make a full Christian nation. And so from your perspective, who has seen this at each level, what, what do you do now to protect your own children's spiritual development so they're not influenced by said indoctrination and fascism? Well, it's interesting. I think these new group of kids are coming out with their with a good head on their shoulders, honestly, if you just let them. And actually not even if you just let them. I know my oldest, she she was so happy when I told her we weren't going to church anymore. She would have made our lives miserable if we continued in that system because she saw right through it when she was little, even when I didn't. You know, and she really pushed me as a mother in order because my allegiance is to her. You know, she helped push me into deconstructing. And I have a whole lot of confidence in our kids on their own, regardless of our parenting. You know, <clears throat> look at look at us and how we were raised. And just because you're raised a certain way doesn't mean that that's exactly who you're going to be become you know kids have their own agency and they can think for themselves even if they're allowed to or not and that's what happens kids grow up they speak their mind when you do allow them to have a voice within the home that's all they all they need is a little space and permission to to be who they are and they'll take care of the rest themselves. Yeah, I, I, get, I get chills with you talking about that because it very much reflects my own, I think, hope within the younger generations and their abilities to stand against those types of injustices and make the world right. And I think it has a lot to do with what you were saying earlier, too. Along with this is that we as parents, especially millennials, we allow our kids to speak up. We allow them to express themselves or give them permission to express themselves we don't try to control their behavior at large through punishment or fear. 
And the biggest thing that you said earlier, which is something that my wife and I also practice, is that we have our kids take a step back and look at what they're experiencing and what the meaning is in that experience that they're having. It, it's going, yeah, you're going through this stage, you're experiencing this right now. What are your thoughts? What are your feelings? What are your beliefs? How do you progress from this point? What do you do with this information without trying to give them a definition for it or telling them exactly what it is? Yes, exactly. What I do too. And it's amazing to watch them develop themselves. Mm-hmm. And research from what I've read shows that most parents that are millennials do that with their children, which is extremely different than what we've seen 30 years ago. Yes, thank goodness. And even that brings on a new set of challenges as a parent pushing the social norms. It causes a lot of triggers, especially, you know, watching a child have rights that you didn't have as a child can be a trigger. It's a it's a wild ride. Not everybody does that too. So you still have the social pressure of what a child is supposed to look like and behave like. That also can create a whole new set of circumstances, you know. I'd really like to take that and kind of shift gears a little bit in talking about triggers, if you're willing, and do a little bit of a deep dive into your trauma, your trauma reactions, and what your healing has looked like after exiting Christian extremism, because I know this has not been an easy process with your upbringing to really deconstruct and then dealing with constant expectations or even independent, you know, reminders of things and then trying to like, I don't know, think your way out of it or emotionally respond in a way that is healthy outside of what you were conditioned to do. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the very first thing is that there's no timeline for healing because what we're dealing with is the whole social conditioning that you can't escape out of. And now it's even being imposed on a national level. There is no escaping it. It's ongoing. And this is one of the things that I like about your message and your approach is that people come at you and they go, why are you still talking about this? Why are you attacking a church that you're no longer a part of or belief system? Like you're now out, get over it, stop speaking against it. And your message of healing isn't that simple. It's not wake up one day and you're healed. And two, at a national level, it's now constantly being thrown into my face. I can't escape what you guys are now making into law. Yeah. And really, I think the best thing you can do is have self-awareness and not judge your wherever you're at, your feelings about it, and allow it. And then self-reflect and do body work to release it and on repeat forever. It's just knowing how to take care of the trigger in the moment Mm -hmm. and not expecting that you're not ever going to have triggers because you are, but just being able to to pause and process and release it. Mm -hmm. So if you don't mind talking about that a little bit for those that are not aware, you're talking about doing self-reflection, doing meditation, maybe journaling. And when you're saying body work, you're talking about going through a process to really even tackle the trauma at the cellular level. Yes. Yes. Um, The Body Keeps Score is a fantastic book about how all of that is stored in the cellular level. And I graduated from massage school and I learned about all of this, how body work is so incredibly needed to release emotions. And it doesn't have to be massage. It could be 
a host of lots of different modalities. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, breath work is huge because the nervous system, the central nervous system is so important. Um, that's really where it goes Mommy. from the, the brain to the body. And I would agree with you. I, I've done breath work many times and it's always such a release and it's so relieving and it's almost like a reset. Now you have to do it regularly to keep it going. The good thing for me is that I've been a stay-at-home mom having little ones under five for the past 14 years and not having any type of service um, or resource available to me in the moment. All I had was my breath. And so thankfully, um, I was able to practice it routinely when you have someone screaming, mom, every 30 seconds, that kind of, I got a lot of practice that way. You made a post the other day on Facebook that kind of struck me because you said that you were angry at Jesus. Can you kind of expand on your anger with Jesus? Do you see it as being a, uh, still a divine being or is there still a belief in God for you or is there a separation there? I don't care. (laughs) I give no thought to it whatsoever anymore. It comes back to my feelings regarding childhood, like in general, like being a kid and what kids go through. And it's very unfair for kids because we take away their agency and they're dependent, but they, their brains work just the same like ours do. As far as emotions go, um, just adults are supposed to have better control over their emotions. And that doesn't always happen, as we know. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, it's not the children that are responsible. It's the parent. I mean, look in society. It's like going the extreme now that anything that the kid we've completely stripped children of their agency as far as it's all on the parents responsibility i don't see humans as ultimately responsible if there is a god because we're so limited here because we are like children here and if that's the case that we are children and limited in our understanding then the parent is responsible so even in the greatest of human atrocities I don't ultimately hold humans responsible for them if there is a God. And if there is a God, God is responsible since God is the parent figure, if that makes sense. Yeah, you're you're making an equivalency between the agency and whether or not we allow our children to have that and whether or not God allows us to have agency. And if we're robbing our own children of agency, then God also robs us of our agency. Exactly. To some degree kids i mean they do have their own agency but it's the parents responsibility to guide and if they're a good leader they can make a good environment so their kid can thrive if god is the perfect father something is really fucked up here (laughs) no and i would agree with that too I, i think that as parents at least i oftentimes see parents as you were saying They take away their child's agency or even their free will and try to push them into a lifestyle or into a scenario um, that may not be the child's choice in the long run. The choice is being made for them before they're allowed to make a choice for themselves. And if God puts us into a world where our agency is also being taken from us and we don't have the choice to really make, you know, sense of what we want to do because of powers to be forcing their agency upon us and he's doing nothing about it, then we're just as helpless. Exactly. Like even part of childhood is 
experimentation and exploration. And so when they do that, they're going to mess up. They're going to have accidents. They're going to break stuff. They're going to, you know, misbehave and make bad choices. And what I'm seeing, especially, you know, from society, I mean, Facebook comments are full of this. It's, well, where were the parents to stop it? It's like we don't allow kids to make mistakes anymore. Mm-hmm. And we put all the blame on the parents, but yet we don't put any blame on God. Like somehow blaming God for, you know, the world is taboo and you're not supposed to do that. And why are you being so negative and you have so much hate in your heart? You know, it's just like, well, which one is it? <laughs> I can't decide which way are we going here? Is yeah. it the parent responsibility or is it not? As long as we're limited in our understanding here and our perspective is so small um, in our world and our, you know, where we live and our experiences, I can't hold humans ultimately, eternally responsible if there is a God. No, I, I have a similar belief as you. I mean, if there were a God, I should not be judged on having a human experience. In exactly. the same way that me as a parent, I'm not going to judge my child for having a child experience. They they go through, you know, like you said, trial and error in trying to figure out what their morality is and how they want to engage with the world and what type of person they're going to be. And that's part of the process of growing up. And as a, as a human, I'm going to go through a process of learning who I am and what I'm going to do. And I shouldn't be held accountable for those things when I'm learning. Yes. Yes. And I like to say, I've never been run in this situation before. A lot of things are super scary the first time you're going through it, no matter what that is. And the more we have experiences, the more comfortable we are with them. And I think the same is true, you know, when applied this way. And that's why I was mad at Jesus, because I was like, I, I just don't understand like, how come all the responsibility is being placed on us if you're supposed to be in charge of all this and you're supposed to be the great leader. And a theology just doesn't hold up at that point. At that point, exactly. when you think that 2,000 years has passed without any type of sign and the church has continued to evolve and change their rules and change their scriptures in that time period, there's really no authoritative context in which to follow. Exactly. I mean, I totally paved my own way and decided to create my own family. I don't go by my last name. I decided to create a new family last name. When I was thinking about creating a new last name, I was like, well, what family do I belong in? And without hesitation, I know I belong in the family of grace. Mm -hmm. Grace is a super religious word, so it's interesting that I chose it, but not really because I believe we are limited here. And with our limitation comes help and grace, not in the context of forgiveness, but grace in the context of support and understanding and compassion and empathy and learning. Honestly, we're just learning. And it's funny to me that in your search, as we talked earlier, in your search of trying to find Jesus's message, it's almost as though you found that core message and you've made it a tenant of your life. It's just it didn't come from the church. It came from your own experience in leaving the church that you found that. Absolutely. I still believe I have faith that is the core of who I am, but definitely not in the way that the church taught me. But there's still foundational things that I do believe that I won't let go of as far as because there's limitations and because there's death and rebirth, 
you know, I think that's, that is the good news. Well, as much as I would love to dive into that topic as well, I know we're running out of time. <laughs> so if you would, Rin, let people know where they can find you, where they can hear more about your story, or where you would prefer for them to connect with you. Well, for right now, the majority of my stuff is on Facebook. I'm wanting to create an OnlyFans. Hopefully in the next couple of days, I can get that up and running. Um, but that is for deep diving more into the details and the vulnerable nature of the journey and stuff. I also have a TikTok and an Instagram and run grace, but I'm not like super active on there right now. So most of my content is on Facebook. And if I put something up, I'll let you know from there. All right. I appreciate it, Rin. It's been wonderful talking with you. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. And thanks for everybody for hanging out with us again on another episode of Gods of Tomorrow. I hope this has been informative for you and somewhat uplifting in dealing with our own trauma that we may be experiencing from Christian extremism. As for now, why don't you all just get the hell out of here? Go do something great for your weekend. Go relax. Do a little self-care. And more than anything, go out and be the best version of yourself. 